Psalm 139. Now, we're going to be in verses 1 through 18 today. Um, you will notice I'm not going to deal with uh, the end of the psalm. Uh, there's some interesting verses there at the end, but if you want somebody to handle that, you can let Travis handle some of those. You'll understand when you see them later. But what I want to do is I want to read the text completely in its entirety, verses 1 through 18, and then we will pray and then jump in to the text together. So follow along as I read again verses 1 through 18 of Psalm 139. The psalmist writes and says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I free, flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Let's pray together. Father, I am so grateful for your goodness to us in the person and the work of Christ. I am thankful that when we come to a text like this, we realize that you are always with us. So help us today to be encouraged that you are with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And I pray also that if there's one here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation for them. That they would see the wonder and the glory of Christ and what he has done for them. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when Dr. Henry Russell, a Princeton astronomer, had finished his lecture on the Milky Way, and a woman walks up to him and she asked, if our world is so little and the universe is so great, can we believe that God pays attention to any of us? And Dr. Russell replied, and he said, that depends entirely on how big a God you believe in. As Christians, we believe in a big God. He's all-wise. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows us from the inside out. He knows everything about us. This psalm is all about God knowing us and being with us. Think about that for a moment. 
So as we explore this passage, I'm going to give you four truths I want you to know and to be encouraged in this morning. The first one is going to be found in verses 1 through 6. So look at these verses with me. Know that you are known by God is point number one. Be encouraged in this. Know that you are known by God. Look at verse 1. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You are known by the one true and living God. Just pause and ponder that. The idea that the God of this universe knows me. That that can be overwhelming in both a good way and a bad way. When it says God searches me and knows us, it's saying God examines our hearts. He knows everything about you. That thought can be scary, especially when you know all of your sin struggles and you know that God's aware of them too. It's easy to dwell on that bad stuff that God may know about us. But I want to point something out. If you look at the tone of this psalm, that's not what David's doing. That's not his focus. His focus is on being scared that God knows the bad things. He's giving us truths about God's knowledge about us that's meant to encourage us and build us within us this this gratefulness for God himself. These statements answer the questions, the question that was really asked earlier of that astronomer. If our world is so little and the universe is so huge, can we believe that God pays any attention to us? The answer to this from our text is a resounding yes. Look at actually verses two through four. David actually gives us what most commentaries will call the five God knows statements. Look at verse two. It says, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up, Not only does God concern himself with our lives, he actually pays attention to us. He knows even the most mundane of our activities. He knows the times when we generally don't want people seeing us as well. He knows what our hair looks like when we roll out of bed in the morning. He knows what what we look like when we stand up out of a chair or when we plop down to relax. Just the very mundane activities. He knows us. He sees us. The second statement that you see here is it says, you discern my thoughts from afar. God knows our thoughts even when we feel distant from God. Again, this is one that that can feel scary to an extent. To have the one true and living God, to have the, the Holy One know your thoughts can be a little scary. But again, I don't think that's David's tone here. If anything, David is declaring, God, even when I feel there's a distance between us, you know the inner longings and cries of my heart and my mind. What a comfort to know that, God, you hear, that you understand the unspoken longings of my heart that I don't even share with anyone else. And look at verse 3. This is the third God knows statement. He says, you search out my path and my lying down. What's this mean? Basically, it says God sees us when we travel. That he's he's searching out our paths and and he sees us and he knows us when we arrive home to rest and to lay down. These first three God knows statements lead lead into these, these next two about what God knows about us. And look at the end of verse three. It says, and you... Are acquainted with all my ways. Lord, you know the, the just most mundane, 
things that I do. When I'm doing the laundry and I'm, I'm frustrated because my spouse hasn't done X, Y, or Z, you know all of those things, and you're there with me. Number five is in verse four, as it says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You know everything. Even before the word rolls off of my tongue, you know what is going to be said. To be known by God alone would be nice, but to be known by God um, without his love and without his care, it would validate our feelings of isolation from him when we are struggling. Yes, we are known by God, and his knowledge of us moves him to act, to care for those whom he knows. Look at verse 5. It says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge. It's too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David, is, David says this, this phrase, you hem me in. This word hem, it means it has the idea of like a besieging of a city. So David's saying, God, just like an army surrounding a city where, where nothing goes in, nothing comes out, you're surrounding me in your protection. Not only are you protecting me, you go with me, both before me and behind. And all the while, you're, you're laying your divine hands of blessing on me. After these five statements of God knowing us and the, the two subsequent kind of statements about his loving care over us, look at David's response in verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Do you ever get to a place where you are just dumbfounded by God's love and care for you? That's David in this moment. He just, he, he can't, he, he's speechless. When we come to the knowledge of God's knowledge about us, this is the response. Oh man, this is just too amazing. This is almost too much good stuff for me to handle. I mean, it floods my mind with so many great thoughts about God and that I can barely understand them at all. You ever felt like that? Where you're just so overwhelmed by the case of the feels that you can't put it into words. David's knowledge about God's knowledge of him gives him this, this spiritual moment that he just he can't speak can't put it into words all because david really realizes this truth he is known by god so that is the first truth i want you to be encouraged in today is to know that you are known by god secondly know that you are near to god look at verses 7 through 12 verse 7 specifically it says where shall i go from your spirit or where shall i flee from your presence David's asking a question that flows out of this truth that you are known by God. And that is to be known by God is to be in his presence. I know these verses I know when I was young used to be used as something that like would scare you to death. Where I can't run from God, right? That's not David's point again. It's just not. He's talking about this is where God is with me. I can't run from his presence. How does someone get to know you well in life? By proximity. Those who are closest to you know you better than anyone else. So David, understanding this, uh, this amazing knowledge that God has of him, realizes that there's nowhere he can go. There's nowhere that he can run to where God won't be there with him. He asks, where shall I go from your spirit, or where can I run from your presence? 
And David answers this question beautifully in the next few verses. And he gives us five hypothetical statements. He says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, you are there. If I take, um, if I take the wings of the morning, and if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. This is incredible. Think about this. No matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself, no matter where other people find you or place you, or you just simply can't get outside God's economy. You just can't do it. Even when we attempt to run from God's presence and it feels like the darkness that you're experiencing is just going to envelop you. And even though everyone else is experiencing light, you feel like you're experiencing a whole lot of darkness. But David cries out and declares in his darkness, Oh God, my darkness is not dark to you. You are powerful enough to overcome my darkness because you're there with me. This darkness that I'm experiencing, it's as bright as day to you. What a blessing it is to have a God that is with us, that's willing to, to break into our darkness with his glorious light. Psalm 139 teaches that you can't get outside of his presence. You can't do it. You can't run. You can't hide from it. There's no place to go. That's what the psalmist means when he says if you run to the farthest limits of the sea, guess what? God's there. If I make my bed in the grave, guess what? God's there with you. It's like this big circle. We, we get to run we get all this freedom of movement. There's no question about that. But yet God's intention is so much bigger than us. Psalm teaches that we get to, we, we can't get outside the presence of God. And that's, that's a glorious thing. And what this psalm does, I think, that's so amazing to me is it, it kind of gives value to every space. It gives value to every place you find yourself in. Not that every space is pleasant, some of it's downright ugly. Sometimes it's horrible. It's evil. And yet this psalm reminds us it's still not outside of God's sovereign hand. And when we're in the presence of God, as God told Moses, you're standing on holy ground. And there's something, I think, potentially sacred when we're walking on holy ground. Even the despicable places, even the places of shame, even the places of guilt, even the places that we find ourselves in desperation. Now, I know this, this can sound absurd, but can't you imagine David, and as he's contemplating these thoughts, and before he writes us down, he's sitting on the beach, he's looking out and the farthest horizons of the sea and catching a glimpse, just a glimpse, of this larger understanding of God. And it's just a wonderful moment, and it changes everything for him. And he begins to write. The truth of this, this larger scope, this truth of God's grand story, this, this doesn't diminish what you might be feeling right now. Some of you may come in here and you're struggling. You're in that dark place. You feel like, you know, darkness and, and God's light is not coming in. But as you look at the farthest limits of the sea, please understand God knows you and he's there with you. 
While your moments of spiritual and even physical struggles may be difficult to bear, know that in a much larger context, God is near you. So be encouraged this morning that you are known by God and that you are near to God. Let's go to verses 13 through 16, and we'll find our third truth this morning, is to know that you are wonderfully made and loved by God. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. These verses bring with it a range of emotions, depending on kind of where you are in your journey of life and where you are right now. These emotions can vary. These verses speak of the the uniqueness and the wonderful way that God creates all of human life. Uh, This proclaims clearly when God knows that before our hearts even begin to beat, God knows us and is active in forming us in our mother's womb. Other than the obvious implications and applications of the importance of babies' lives in the womb. I'm sure you guys have heard that so many times. I'll let your pastors deal with that. We all know that's what this is teaching. But this, this portion of the psalm also has countless other areas of application that we can look to. I, I think it also gives moms and dads a whole lot of comfort after a miscarriage. And, and after a stillbirth. After the death of a child. It gives us hope when we're trying to raise that difficult child. God bless my parents, you know. And I think it gives some power. It gives some comfort to those struggling with their own body image. Realizing you are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's often this feeling of heartache about the daughter or the son. Or let's be real, even yourself. That hasn't lived up to expectations. And and they feel, or you feel like... Somehow you failed. But to read that God formed your inward parts and God's Spirit has been involved with you, that God saw you and knew you before you were even in the womb, verse 16. It puts a different spin on things, doesn't it? To God, no thing, no person is wasted. Every single life matters to God. I mean, this is an expansive vision of the psalmist. So be encouraged this morning. Know that you are known by God. Know that you are near to God and know that you are wonderfully made and loved by God. And lastly, look at verses 17 and 18. Know that God's thoughts toward you are precious. God's creation of you is an amazing thing. And David then makes this statement in verses 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. It would be enough if we just knew that God made us and that he loved us on kind of this large macro level, wouldn't it? But on even just a lower, more specific level, God's Simple thoughts about you are precious. They are innumerable. 
And even if you tried to count the thoughts of God about you, you'd fall asleep doing it, is what David's saying. And guess what? When you wake up, God is still there. That's what David is proclaiming to us. So child of God, be encouraged this morning that you are known by God, that you are near to God, that you are wonderfully made and loved by God. Know that God's thoughts towards you are precious. And I'm speaking to Christians today to be encouraged in those things. But as a preacher of the gospel, I cannot assume the gospel in your life. These truths we've looked at are true for those whom God knows. And how does God come to know us? He comes to know us through Jesus. He comes to know us through the gospel bearing fruit within our hearts. Sadly, many who thought they knew God through Jesus will stand before God one day, and they're going to be surprised. It's what some theologians have called the surprise of judgment. And they'll find out they didn't know him at all. Here are the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and notice what they say here. It's pretty clear that these are religious people that probably have a testimony of some type of salvation, at least Old Testament speaking. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Just to claim that you are a Christian or to say that you believe in Jesus is not enough. James 2.19 is clear. It says the demons believe and they tremble. To have mere mental or intellectual faith. I mean, it's great to know certain facts, but the question is, do you know God? Do you know God through his son, Jesus? And has the Spirit given you life? Do you have a real relationship with God through God's, God the Son's work on the cross? Have you come to God in your brokenness? Have you seen that your sin requires God's wrath against you? Have you seen that your sin requires the payment of the shedding of your blood? And have you placed your faith in the perfect one who knew no sin and took your place on the cross, who shed his blood for you? who bore God's wrath that was meant for you. You say, I believe this, but how do I know that this just isn't some intellectual faith? Because part of salvation is both repentance and faith. It's clear in, in the book of Mark, it says, repent and believe the gospel. We come to God in faith, and repentance is just the response of someone who's been brought from spiritual death to life. Repentance isn't something that you must do for salvation, but it's the natural response of someone who's, who's been given a new heart by God. You come to God in faith, and he gives you this new heart, these new desires to turn from the prior life and follow Christ with your life. This results in spiritual fruit that's seen in your life as the Spirit conforms you to the image of Jesus. Your life will be then more and more characterized by the spirit, the, the fruits of the Spirit, or excuse me, it is actually singular, fruit of the Spirit. And what are those? Is your life characterized more and more by these things? Love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And remind yourselves of those things before business meetings, right? All right. All right. Glad I got one out of there. All right. But all of those things, all of those evidences of the fruit of the Spirit, it results in true relationship. It results in God's knowledge of us. If you don't know God through Christ personally, I want to call you today to repent and believe the gospel. Embrace Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. If you, if you, don't, if you do know Him today, and you're following Him with your life, again, I want you to be encouraged. When you come to a passage like this, be dumbfounded by the love of God for you. Be speechless. Sit and just be amazed at God's care for you. That's what I want for you who are Christians today. And if you don't know him, turn to him in faith. Believe in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I'm, I'm grateful for Christ. I'm grateful for what he has done in our lives as Christians. I, I love the fact that this is not my church home, but I can come and I can proclaim the gospel and, and we can all be encouraged that we are, we are tethered together, not just because they once planted a church who planted our church, but that we're tethered together because of Christ. And we are we're connected because we want to advance the gospel in our community. Help us to be faithful to do that. Help us to be a people who are so enamored by what the gospel has done in our own hearts and lives that we can do none other than to just proclaim him to the masses. Help those of us who came here today and who are struggling, they're feeling just the experiences of darkness and struggles and, and all of the different things that they may be facing. Would you help them to find peace and comfort and joy in Christ? Help them to remember the truths of the gospel in their heart and find peace. Father, I pray that you would encourage us as we leave this place and that you would receive all the glory. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.